Good morning, beloved. It is good to see everybody again today. Uh, unfortunately, I do not have my whole crew with me today again. We had a little relapse yesterday. We had a fun week of uh, stomach flu. That was sarcasm. Uh, but we are doing okay. Little Samuel has uh, uh, the orphanage antibodies, whatever that means. I've been told that, that if you are in an orphanage for a couple of years, you get everything, and so you can resist everything after. He's not sick. Uh, he's the only healthy one, and that makes it especially fun as he runs around and beats on everybody and has a blast while we all are agonizing. Uh, no, it, we, Luke and I both were able to help him on Monday, weren't we? When everybody else was down for Monday and Tuesday and then Daddy got it on Wednesday. So, um, but I'm better. Y'all pray for our family, okay? It is definitely good to see everybody uh, and glad to be back in this amazing book. The vivid imagery that we see in this uh, chapter is uh, astounding. It's, it brings to life the Bible. Uh, it's often used, imagery like this is often used in the Bible to explain theological truths. Last week it was a baby longing for milk was compared to our desire for the Word of God. And then today, Peter borrows from the Old Testament temple imagery to illustrate the Savior and his followers and also those who reject him. During the 1,500 years before Jesus inaugurated the New, Te New Covenant, God's people looked to the temple as a place to worship God and fellowship with him. During Passover, they would sing the Hallel. Psalms as they ascended to the temple mount and worshipped God. Psalm 113 to 118 are the ones that they would sing as they approached from all over Palestine. They would approach Jerusalem singing these songs and then all weekend long they would sing these psalms over and over and over. These praise psalms were sung in order to honor God and to remember what God had done in redeeming them and to also look forward to His coming final redemption in the Messiah. You can kind of picture this in your mind as upwards of a million people walk towards this little city, all with the little mount, uh, temple mount and the temple up on this mountain and they would all approach singing these familiar psalms. As you come to the end of Psalm 118, if you want to look in your Bible, you can. Psalm 118, these words would ring out with triumph and praise. The Psalms would be sung over and over that whole weekend. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O oh Lord, do save. We beseech you. O oh Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and He has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifices with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. You can just imagine all of them walking up and singing this over and over and over. Can you imagine what that would be like? Countless Jews remembering Israel's deliverance from Egypt, giving thanks to God for this great act of redemption that had previously happened, and also looking forward to a final redemption which was coming, where the Messiah would be exalted. I don't know if they knew and every one of them understood completely. I'm fairly sure they didn't. That the stone which the builders rejected would be Jesus himself. Did they all understand that? I doubt it. In light of the fact that at the end of Luke, it says even after Jesus had rose from the dead, he had to explain it to his own disciples, remember? The Hillel, though, was repeated as the high priest killed their lambs and sacrificed their lambs to then be taken home and ate at the Passover feast. They would repeat these words over and over. You know, the, the author of our book, Peter, He understood this. He understood this very well. And Passover was in his life numerous times. Every year he would do this. But one Passover probably stuck out in his mind, don't you think? That Passover where Jesus died. The one where he was then sent by Jesus in to get the feast ready, remember? That means he was the one that took and got a lamb and went to the high priest. And this was being sung at the same time as it was killed, the lamb was, and then he watched as his Savior died the next night. The weekend his Savior died would have been the Passover that stuck out in his mind, and these words of Psalm 118 would have stuck in his brain. And he references them here in this passage. Vivid imagery. So as he comes and it starts to explain this, to his audience, most likely Peter writes to a bunch of mostly Jewish believers that had embraced Christ. They were a minority of the Jewish people, but a small minority of Jewish people had embraced him, and that's mostly who he's writing to in this letter. However, I do believe there's Gentiles mixed in there. Paul was the uh, apostle to the Gentiles, right? Peter most likely spent most of his time ministering to Jewish Christians. So Paul or Peter writes this with this imagery in chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. And it's, re- it's repeated in, throughout this. Notice in verse 7 it says, The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This image of a stone is what Peter's using to kind of illustrate who God is, who Christ is, and to help us to have a fresh perspective on Jesus and what He's done for us. You know, this is what we need, folks. When we're in the midst of trials and struggles in our life, when we're dealing with problems in our life, often we get too focused on the trial, right? Too focused on the pain. Too much on the suffering and the hurt and the grief. What is it that we need more than anything else? We need a fresh glimpse of Christ. We need a fresh glimpse of our Savior. 
We need a fresh understanding of who he is and what he's done. It is that which is the salve to our wounds. It's a fresh glimpse of the Savior. As we know the Lord more and we understand all that he has done for us, we are motivated then again to worship God in all our circumstances. You know, it fits in perfect with Sunday school. As Stephen already mentioned this morning, Mark was in Lamentations. I was very encouraged this morning. In the middle of lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem, Jeremiah exalts the Lord and he says in Lamentations 3.21, it's the same thing. He has a fresh glimpse of who God is. In light of lamenting this destruction, he says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. What is it? The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Where's our hope? It's in the Lord. It's in an understanding of who he is and what he's done for us. And that's what Peter says here. He says, look, long for the pure milk of the word. Why? Because there you'll get a taste of the Lord. You'll know him more. And then he begins to unfold how the scriptures themselves have talked about the Lord and how good he is and how refreshing he is and how he is the living stone that we hold on to. We're going to examine Peter's graphic imagery of Jesus and his reception at his first advent today. There's three elements of Peter's description, descriptive imagery that we, we will examine. We'll do this in order to get this fresh glimpse of our Savior and our relationship with Him. Notice there's the rejected but chosen living stone in verse 4. The temple of worshiping stones in verse 5. And the prophetic promises of the stone and his reception in verses 6 to 8. Let's start with the rejected but chosen living stone. That's found in verse 4. Look at it. Read with me. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God. This verse gives us four features of the living stone. You know, that's a, that's a metaphor for Jesus himself. He is the living stone. The living stone is, the, is pursued, in fact. It says, and coming to him. Jesus is the object of the believer's pursuit. Notice it says, and coming to him, that is in the present tense. This is an ongoing thing. This is what we do. We come to Christ all the time. You know, we, we hear that in some of the evangelistic messages of the 90s, right? Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Well, when you come to Christ, you don't stop coming to Christ. You keep coming to Christ. That's our life. We come to Him daily, all the time. And that's all linked back. Notice it says, and coming to Him. Well, what's that linked to? And is linked back to verse 3. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And what's that linked to? Well, that's applied back to the long for the pure milk of the word. All of these are parallel statements. How many of you long for the pure milk of the word? Well, if you long for the pure milk of the word, guess what you do? You long to know Christ more. 
You're going to Him because He is the good God, the good Lord, the one that has shown kindness to us. We come to Him, don't we? You know, I, I'm, I'm constantly, as a, as a pastor, you know, we're always dealing with the, the difficulties of life, right? The counseling of our hearts and the counseling situations that are always coming up in our lives. How many of you have marriage problems occasionally? They happen, right? Or problems raising children, right? Well, well the tendency is, is that you want to fix. <laughs> you want... You want, how can I fix this? I want my marriage to be perfect. I, I don't want any of these bumps. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the answer is not always a fix from your pastor. Unless you're talking about the good pastor, the good shepherd. Come to him. That's where our hope is. As we approach Christ, as we come to him, he's the one that helps us. We pursue him. He is a living stone, right? He's the one we pursue. It's a, he's, the living stone is a paradoxical image. Paradoxical. What do you mean? Well, think about this for a second. Does it make sense to call him a living stone? Get those two words together. Living stone. Most of the time when we think of stones, what do we think of? He, you, Dead stone, right? It's bad. You're, you're gone. It's inanimate object, right? But it's a living stone. How can it be a living stone? What in the world is he talking about? Well, the living is obviously talking about the same living that's been talked about two times already in First Peter. Look back in verse one, 3, it says, Born again to a living hope. And then in verse 123, it says, The living and abiding and enduring Word of God. That it is the active. It's the one that's alive. He is the one that is working. He is alive, isn't he? He's the living stone. But at the same time, he's stone, which implies what? He's foundational. He's solid. He's a rock. He's stable. He's reliable. These are all things that are in those images that carry forward. But ultimately, I think Peter has this idea of a stone like these kind of stones here. If you look at the picture, it's the stones that temples were often built with in that day. Or big, uh, 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 you know, all kinds of buildings were built with these kinds of stones. And what they would do is they would carve these out and they would look for these and they'd find these and they would uh, evaluate whether or not they were good enough for a building. So these are the kind of stones that most likely is mentioned in what Peter has in mind. So we have a living one of these is what he has in mind. You say, well, how does that fit? Well, obviously he's bringing or carrying from the verses 9 to 8. He's already got those in his mind, or rather 5 to 8. He's already got those scriptures in the Old Testament that were prophetically talking about the stone which is coming. And who is that stone, beloved? He's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the stone. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone. Jesus is the stone which the builders rejected. Notice it says in verse 4, the living stone was rejected. It says who, and it's not in your, in your translation, but it's, 
it's in the Greek, it says, who on the one hand has been rejected by men. Who on the one hand has been rejected by men. The imagery of an inspector coming up to these stones, you can see it, you get it in your mind, right? You come up to these stones and you look at them and you say, I don't know if that one will support a building. I think we need to reject that one. It's ugly, it might not make it look pretty, let's not use that stone. And here we have, who are the ones that are rejecting the stone? Men. I think it's very interesting here that Peter doesn't say the, re- the builders at this point. He doesn't say who on the one hand had been rejected by the builders, the Jews, the Jewish elites. He doesn't say that, does he? He says men. I think this is significant. And I think it's significant because he's applying it more to all of mankind. He's saying, look, by the facts are that Jesus is rejected by mankind. That's who he is. He's the stone that's rejected by mankind. That's what Scripture had said would happen, and that's what's happened. And Beloved, do you understand that Jesus is still rejected by mankind today? The vast majority of the world does not accept Jesus Christ. The vast majority of the world looks at Jesus as somebody that doesn't make sense to them. He doesn't fit, does he? I mean, if we're really honest, uh, all the pictures that we have, you know, the pictures that we have, people have pictures of drawings of Jesus and they paint him out to be this glowing figure, but... The Bible doesn't describe him that way. He probably was not, if he were in the room today, we would probably not go, oh, that's him. He probably was not recognizable. a matter of fact, Isaiah 53 verses 2 and 3 state what? He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. Do you understand? He was a living stone, but a stone at that. And most men would look at him and say, what's the big deal? He's just like me. There's no big difference. He was rejected of men. Beloved, the same is true today, isn't it? Do you understand that Jesus is not widely accepted by the world? Don't expect your the co-workers that you have and your neighbors to all go, oh, you follow Jesus? Me too. That is not the norm. Do you understand that? Though we try to say that America is a Christian nation, oh, beloved, it is not true. Widely, Christ is still rejected by the world, isn't he? As we were in China, I... There were numerous times that I was walking around, I have to admit, just wanted to stop and cry. Just millions of people everywhere. We were in the third largest city at one point, and I couldn't help but think as I looked around at the the millions and millions of people just totally dead, lost, and had rejected Jesus. And don't even know him. It was just, at at times, overwhelming grief. 
came over me. Walking through the subways, we walked down underneath one time. We didn't take it, don't worry. Uh, we walked down underneath and just gobs of people everywhere you look and you knew that most of them didn't know Christ, would have no idea who he is. I just wanted to stop and start shouting out, oh, there's good news. There's a Savior. Oh, beloved, we have a, we have a living stone who was rejected by men. But notice he is... Who values him? He's the living stone who is valuable. He is valued. Jesus is a choice in the sight of God. Men look at the stone and say, nope, don't want it. God looks at the stone and says, chosen. He's the one that I picked. He's the choice one. Precious in the sight of God. The Father's choice of Jesus is ultimately what reveals Jesus' value. This is very important. Why is Jesus valuable? Is it, is it because man picked him? No. Is it because we picked him? No. Is it because he did something? Well, I would argue it's because he was the chosen one. And it didn't matter what his appearance looked like on the outside. By being the chosen one of God, guess what? He's precious. He's valuable. Why? Because the Father chose him. He is part of the Trinity and he became a man. He is precious and highly valued and honored and prized by God the Father. The Father's greatest delight is in the Son and in the Spirit. The members of the Trinity delight in one another. They are the pleasures of one another. They delight in each other always, continuously. The members of the Godhead rejoice over themselves continuously. And they always have and they always will. They are the pleasures of each other. That is what God is all about. As one Christian songwriter states in his, um, in his song titled... The Pleasures of the King. This is uh, Steve Green, a favorite, one of my favorite uh, singers. This, is the, this last verse is awesome. He says, But of all his regal pleasures, one does stand above the rest. The Son he gave to serve and save in perfect holiness. Existing pure and faultless, faultless embodiment of truth, Guardian of righteousness with name of beyond reproof. His words uphold the universe in love unwavering. Jesus, you are the treasure of the king. Jesus, you are the treasure and pleasure of the king. Beloved, this is, Jesus is precious and choice in the sight of God the Father. You ask me, is there any other thing that we should have our attention on? Is there any other person we should have our attention on? No, ultimately, all of our attention should be fixed on Jesus. If the Father looks at the Son and takes great great pleasure in Him, and He has taken great pleasure in Him from eternity past to eternity future, is there anything in this world that compares to the Son? 
So you ask me, how do I deal with the trials and the tribulations and the things that are going on in this world? Fix your eyes on the living stone. He is the pleasure of the Father. If the Father takes pleasure in the Son, we can take pleasure in the Son all the time. This is where our hope is, folks. This is it. I know I sound often like a broken record, but He is our joy, isn't He? We rejoice in the Lord always. And again, to say that again is nothing for us, is it? Rejoice in the Lord always. He is good. And that's why we go to our Word, don't we? We long for the pure milk of the Word. Why? Because it's there we get another glimpse of Him, the living stone. Jesus is choice and precious in the sight of God the Father. So obvious question comes to mind, this one, for me. Why is He so pleasurable and so precious in the sight of God the Father but he's rejected by men. Why is it that I take joy in other things of this world? Why do these distractions come into my way and I look to those things instead of keeping my eyes fixed on him all the time? Why is it that our world rejects him and God calls him precious and choice? Why? Answer, the human heart. The human heart, it's a wicked thing. And all of the old man that we still carry around, it's wicked, beloved. It calls you to look other places. It calls you to get your eyes off the living stone. But God, amen? God's sovereign choice is the Son. Look to the living stone, beloved. Look to Him. He is your hope. The one rejected by man is actually the most valued one to ever live. Remember, the opposite of what the world thinks is often true. Do you value Jesus above all? Are you with those who reject Jesus? Or those who God has opened up your hearts to see And have a living hope in the living stone through the living word that we read. Notice, second, the temple worshiping stones. The temple temple of worshiping stones. It says in verse 5, You also, as living stones. uh Uh-oh, we're becoming these living stones. Or are living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Why? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Notice the believers are now compared to, these, to the living stones. We're the, we're the stones that are built on the top of the cornerstone. We're alive. We're solid. We're firm. We're living. Why? Because we put our faith and hope in the living stone. We are individuals who are coming to Him. And when we come to Him, we have what? Salvation, redemption, deliverance. And now we're alive. And we come to Him continuously more and more drawing near to Him. 
We are associated with Christ. It says, also you yourselves, emphatic. There's a transition from the singular you to the plural you. And here, this is important. In other words, long for the pure milk of the word would be implied. Each one of you must long. But now he's going to pick up and and see the corporate value. Also, you yourselves, all of you yourselves as living stones. And here we have this idea of the corporate aspect of the building. The corporate aspect of the church. Individuals each embrace Christ, but it makes one big building one big place where God is worshipped with all of these people together. We must understand, though we are each His chosen stones, we make up the corporate body, which is the focus of the whole passage, and that is we are a part of the temple of God. God no longer builds temples and has people build temples, right? Now He's building temples made of people, and that's what we are. How many of you have heard this? I know we've said this before, but I think it's important. People say, well, I don't go to church anymore. I don't like what church has done to me and the people of the church. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? The problem is this. The church is the way that God worships. It's, he, he gets worship from his people. All of us come together how? Corporately, together. As living stones, we make up that temple that worships God together. We are living stones, not uh, not exactly like Christ, but we are associated with Him. And we are paradoxical figures too, aren't we? We're alive, and we're solid, we're firmly founded on the cornerstone, and we're focused on Him, despite the rest of the world, what? Thinking we're crazy. And though the world rejects him, and they may look at us and say, we're nuts, I'm a living stone, and I'm solid, and I'm firmly established on the solid rock, Jesus Christ. And you are too. And we all come together and we all say, praise God, he is the one that we honor. And we are being built up, aren't we? It says in this passage, this means he is building a house. It's a divine work of God. And everybody in the room should understand that the only reason you're a part of that temple is because of what? His building work. His grace. It's Him working in you is why you're here today. And so what do we do? We worship Him, don't we? And what are we being made into? We're being made into a spiritual house. God's true house. And it's identified as a spiritual house. It's made up of collectively of Christians who constitute the house. We are a house that by nature is different from the world. We are, in fact, a holy priesthood. Oh, this is so important. It talks about our function here. Did you know that everybody in the room is a priest? Everyone in the room is a priest. No, I'm not saying that women should become preachers. But I am saying that everyone is a part of this priesthood. Everyone. You know the Old Testament. Y'all read your Bibles. You know the Old Testament. Who could go into the Holy of Holies? Only the high priest. And how often? Once a year. What do you have now? 
We're all holy priests. Why? Because we are living stones. Because of the work of the living stone. And what do we do? What do priests do? They proclaim the glories of God, don't they? That's what we're going to see. That's what we do. That's our function. We are those who exalt Jesus Christ, don't we? We exalt our high priest. We exalt our God. And we are holy. That is, we are set apart from sin. Beloved, if you're walking in sin, you can't do your function properly. You don't look like the priest that you are. We must forsake sin. We must put off sin. We must be holy as He is holy, and then we will be the holy priesthood. We, that's who we are by identity. Now we just need to do the function, correct? We not need to be who we are. We need to live out who we are. You know, it, it, it's funny. We say, we say, oh, I want to share Christ at the workplace. And then the boss gets angry at us and we snap at him. Or we bad talk him or we gossip about the boss in the back room. And then we say, can I tell you about Jesus? Do you see the contradiction? Hypocrisy does not work with being a holy priest. What does God do with unholy priests? I'll remind you of Nadab and Abihu. What happened to them? Hypocrisy. You say, well, nobody sees my hypocrisy. I hide it very well. That would be horrible. Be sure your sin will find you out, beloved. Those dark closets will come to bear one day. And you will not be a holy priest. Though you are by identity, if you have trusted in Christ and your commitment is to Him, oh, beloved, your function will not be to be a holy priest. The house and the priesthood are the same people, just two different images he gives here. And it's amazing grace to be a part of this temple, isn't it? It's an amazing grace to be called a holy priest and to be a part of that priesthood. So why are we a part of this spiritual household? Why are we all uh, the priesthood of believers, as Martin Luther calls this? Why are we holy priests? It says it real clear in our passage. It says, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. One commentator states this about that verb, to offer up, records the nature of the ministry being performed without any reference to the repetition of the action involved. In other words, it's all about what your ministry is. Your ministry is all about sacrificing. It's all about sacrificing, offering up spiritual sacrifices. How many of you make sacrifices? Well, that's a trick question, isn't it? If you're thinking Old Testament, do I, you know, do a burnt offering? Do I bring a grain offering? Do I make those kind of sacrifices? If you're making those, you're in trouble. You're in the wrong covenant. But, but if you're in the new covenant... If you're in the new covenant, you do make spiritual sacrifices, don't you, beloved? What are the spiritual sacrifices that we make? Do you make any spiritual sacrifices? Do you? I have to admit, they don't always show up on my radar. I don't always recognize every one of them. 
but they're there. Let me give you a couple of examples just off the top of my head, just thinking through this. How about changing dirty diapers? Those can be spiritual sacrifices. Or they can be complaints. They can be drudgery. Right? We have we figured that one out, right, lately with Samuel? Lots of them. Multiple ones. Lots and lots and lots of them. Seven, eight, nine, ten a day. He has some physical issues. Reality. I love my wife. Talk about a spiritual sacrifice. Why? Because she is serving her king. What a wife. What are some others? How about giving? I, I, I want to I, I approach this. I don't do it often, but I want you to understand something. Do you understand that when you give, it is actually an act of worship? If I... This is not about... Building an empire here. You are going to Grace Bible Church. You're not getting an empire, I promise. I mean, our overhang out there is a little blue awning that I wish we could take down. We're not, we're not trying to get rich here. We want you to worship God by giving. Spiritual sacrifice. That's what this is about. And who does it go to? Well, it only goes to those that have six-figure incomes. No. No, it goes to every one of us. We spiritually sacrifice and give, don't we? That is worship, beloved. Serving in the nursery, teaching a Sunday school class, cleaning the place. Those are spiritual sacrifices. How about this one? Washing dishes for the wives occasionally. Uh, don't do that. Don't mention that, Pastor Mike. Yeah, doing those extra things, those are the spiritual sacrifices. Going to work. Men, some of you work extra hours. Those are spiritual sacrifices. Understand those things are reality. They can be spiritual sacrifices, or they can be what? Drudgery, requirements, obligations. I have to do it or I'm going to go broke. Pay my bills. But they must come from a heart that is doing it for the Lord, the living stone. If not, then what's your purpose in life? Your purpose in life is not to worship the king. It's your purpose in life is to exalt yourself. Why does a guy, I'm going to pick on somebody, because he nodded real big. Why does a guy like Frank continue to take people around in his car when they treat him like garbage and they talk real worldly around him? Why do you do it? Answer, because you're serving God. You're worshiping God. Why does a guy like Jimmy continue to deliver mail to people that sometimes... Make fun of him and give him a hard time for not getting it there on time or doing something. Why do you do it? To worship God, right? It's a spiritual sacrifice. All of these things are for those reasons. All of us who have been born again to a living hope. That's what we do. Spiritual sacrifices. 
to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And you know what? These are acceptable to God. This pleases our Father. I'm struggling a little bit. I'm struggling a little bit because in our, even in our church at times it, it, it comes to you're either going to be a pastor and really be spiritual or you're just going to be an average Christian. If you're, if you're going to go into ministry, then you're going to really be a Christian. Everybody else, you know, y'all are okay. That is totally, completely unbiblical. That is not true. Every one of us in the room are holy priests offering spiritual sacrifices. Every one of you. No matter what your job is, you might not be an elder. You might not be a pastor. You might not even be a deacon. But you know what? You have a role. You are a holy priest. And your job, no matter how quote-unquote insignificant the world may call it, it is very significant to the king. Very significant. That homemaker, that lady that's at home, doesn't bring in any income. All she does is change dirty diapers and try to encourage kids to know the Lord all day. Guess what? Valuable. Precious. A living stone. A holy priest making spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. And the Father is pleased. Do you understand we are paradoxical in this room? We don't make sense to the world. The world says if you're not making six figures, you're useless. Or at least America. But that is not the biblical view. We are all holy priests because of the living stone. He was rejected by men. I don't want a church full of people that have gotten rich. I really don't want that. I want a church full of people that are already rich in Christ. That are satisfied with Him. That are pleased with the living stone. And that exalt Jesus Christ. That's what I want. How about you? I want people like that. Boy, that goes totally against the prosperity ministry, doesn't it? Why? Because we are people that lay our lives down for others. And that's all that matters. Our purpose is what? To sacrifice for God. What did Jesus say? Pick up your cross and follow me. Rejected and despised by men, what do you think is going to happen to the living stones that follow him? It's going to be the same. We're not going to win popularity contests. I'm sorry. How do we do this? I would argue that the rest of the book is going to tell us what spiritual sacrifices look like. The rest of 1 Peter, as we go through it, you're going to see exactly what that looks like. It's going to look like sacrificing to, uh, submitting to government, even when the government is somebody that might seek to kill you. That's what it says. It's going to look like 1 Peter chapter 3. This one's going to be hard to swallow. 
Look, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands to even to so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of your wives. That's what it looks like. It's going to look like 3.15. That when you're, you're persecuted, you're always ready to give a hope for the, uh, give a defense of the hope that lies within you. That's what it's going to look like. It's going to be keeping fervent in love. Sacrificially loving those that don't love you in return. That's what people who understand the living stone look like. We are a holy priesthood, aren't we, folks? And our life is to sacrifice for others. And it's acceptable to our God. Notice he does all this and he proves it all with these last verses. He gives the proof. And what is the proof? It's the word of God. The word of God had prophetically promised these things. In verses 6 to 8, he lists out three different Old Testament passages that talked about exactly what was going to happen in the past. Notice it says, For this is contained in Scripture. This is contained in Scripture that there would be a living stone and there would be living stones that accepted and then those that rejected. All of this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. The precious value then is for you who believe. But to those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone, the very cornerstone, and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. God's word had emphatically predicted Jesus and his resurrection and his acceptance and his rejection. All of this. Peter gives Old Testament scripture to indicate it. And he says, the plan of God for the stone first he shows. And then the plan of God for all people, the rejectors and the acceptors. Notice the plan of God for the stone. It says, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. This is from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And the I lay in Zion implies what? The Father has established that the stone was going to come. And he was going to be laid in Zion, which is where? Jerusalem, in the heart of Palestine. The obvious implication is is this is God's predetermined plan before foundation of the world. 600 years before Jesus shows up, God has, is saying that it's already determined I have laid in Zion a stone. Jesus has predetermined to be that cornerstone, a valuable foundation stone. And y'all, most of you already know this about the temple But ultimately, you know the stones I showed you, the pictures. They would take one of the largest stones, one of the most stable stones, and they would put it in one corner of the temple because the the point is, is that at that point was the most weight and everything would be built off of that cornerstone. And if anything happened to that cornerstone, the whole building would collapse. 
So the cornerstone had to be the main stone. Everything had to be built off of that. It was all lined out by it. It was all, the weight was distributed so that it got the most weight. It is a key part of the building. In fact, it is the most important important part of the temple. And Jesus was established to be that cornerstone from the before the foundation of the world. But notice he was also rejected. Just like we, Peter has already said, he's just kind of showing how the scriptures say the same thing. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. And this is a reference here to Psalm 118, 22 that we talked about. The stone which the builders rejected, the Jews as a vast majority rejected their Messiah. In the end, ultimately all of them did, right? Even Jesus' own disciples, when he was arrested, what did they do? They fled. The rejection was complete. But that was the stone that would be the cornerstone for all of God's worshipers in the future. And then it says this, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And that's from Isaiah eight fourteen. Jesus is the stone of stumbling, isn't he? Jesus caused the Jews to stumble. And by the way, he causes people to stumble today too. Because Jesus doesn't say, come to me and you can continue to be whoever you are and do whatever you want to do. Jesus says what? Give up your life and follow me. Does that cause people to stumble? It says, forsake all other gods and embrace me alone. That causes lots to stumble. He's also the rock of offense. I love this. I don't have time to go into this, but we'll pick up on this next week. Let's just leave it with this, and then I'll come back next week. But what gives it its offense or arouses its objection? We get our word scandal from this. Do you understand that Jesus is scandalous? (laughs) He's scandalous. Why? He's scandalous in so many ways, isn't he? He's scandalous in the fact that we serve someone who died on a cross, who was killed and rejected by his own people. That's scandalous, isn't it? We worship and serve the God-man who came to the earth and died on a cross for our sin. Why is that scandalous? Well, because it, it says that we have to admit what? We sinned. How many of you, how many of you like to just make public your sin? Anybody like to confess your sins to one another? Does that come easy? Not at all, does it? But if you come to Jesus, do you have to, under, you have to understand to come to Christ means what? Coming to the light, which means what? Being exposed. How many of you love coming to Jesus daily? Well, if you love coming to Jesus daily, it means that you get exposed daily. He's scandalous, isn't he? He shows our hearts off, doesn't he? How many of you last the past week sinned? You're here, you're being reminded of it. When you were wrong or mistreated somebody or thought evil thoughts to somebody... 
You come to Christ, you don't just go, no big deal. You come to Him with what? Fear? Humble? Repentance. That's scandalous, isn't it? He's a rock of offense, isn't he? But all of us in the room, what? Love him. (laughs) We love the rock of offense, don't we? We come to the light. We come to the one who is scandalous. Why do we come to him? Because we will not be put to shame if we do. We will not be disappointed. We come to Jesus and we know our sin is taken care of. He took our sin. And there will be no shame for his own. And so all of us say, Amen. Ready to go to Jesus again? You see why you're growing in respect to your salvation? The answer is, is because as you come to the word of God, you come to the living stone. And as you come to the living stone, you're reminded of the glorious gospel of what he did for you and who he is and that he will return one day to bring us to glory. Can't wait. Can't wait. Let's pray. Father, you are a good and kind and glorious God. We thank you for living, giving us and sending the living stone. Lord, he is rejected and despised by many. He's a scandal to thousands and millions and even billions. But for us, he is pleasurable. He is our delight. He is who we rejoice in. And we are not disappointed. We will not be put to shame. We believe in him. And we come to you with worship and honor and respect, wanting to be holy priests, proclaiming the glories of our Savior. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our living stone. Amen.